Well, good morning. It's good to see you all today. Uh, that Urbana video gets stuck in your head, though. Can I, can I just apologize openly for that? Uh, it'll, you know, some of you are like, I thought that song was Havana. No, it was originally written Urbana. That's what we're trying to say. And uh, no, really, uh, it's been great to celebrate what God's doing in Urbana. And uh, we're just so excited how God has been working in us and through us uh, by launching another location. And who knows what we're going to do next. It's going to be pretty exciting, I think, to see where God may take us and what God may do. Are you having a good Easter? No. You, you guys, you guys know me better than that. I mean, I, honestly, people, you have slept in, right? Come on now. Some of us were here early doing run-throughs, trying to make sure things are going. I'm smiling. You can smile too. Are you having a good Easter? Thank you. Come on. It is a wonderful day, and I'm going to make a statement just to open our message to kind of help capture the thought of where we're going to go today. Uh, but don't throw stones. Don't throw any tomatoes. Don't get upset with me. But I just want you to hear me out. Uh, as I make this statement, and let me just walk it through for a moment, okay? But I want you to know that as honest as I can be, uh, Jesus is not my hero. He's not. And I know it's very popular in this season. You know, uh, my kids are getting ready for the Infinity Stone Marvel movie to come out this month, and they're, they're stoked about that. We love heroes. I mean, we're, we're made for heroes. But let me, let me just pause this for a moment. Here's why Jesus is not my hero. When I think of heroes, I think of somebody who... I don't really know, don't really have a relationship with. It's not very personal. They may come in and sweep in and, and save the day, but the truth of the matter is they're here and gone. They move on oftentimes. But a savior is somebody who knows you, who understands you, who sees what you need, and not only comes in and saves the day, but then walks the journey with you. And so maybe it's better if I just say it this way, that uh, Jesus is not only our hero, but Jesus is our savior. And while a savior is often our hero, there is a very deep difference, distinct difference of what a hero and a savior intends. If you've got your Bibles, I want to encourage you to go ahead and open up to John chapter 20. But here's what we need saving from. I mean, it's not hard to turn on the news. It's not hard to read the paper. It's not hard to look around at the brokenness of relationships, the hurts and wounds of our community, and realize that there is evil in our world. We call that sin. And sin becomes a part of our everyday life. It becomes part of our, our own personal will and our own personal way. And we need a Savior because, in essence, if we were left up to ourselves, we would, we would ultimately be consumed by ourselves. And so we come to a point today to really talk about a Savior who comes in and offers himself in our place, provides for us a new life, provides for us the power over sin, the power over death, and life everlasting. John chapter 20 is, the, is where we're going to begin. If you don't have your Bibles with you, we'll have it on the screen with you where you can follow along. But here's what's happening. Uh, Mary Magdalene, a, a young gal and her friends are actually heading to uh, the tomb to see Jesus. And as they get there, they realize the tomb is open, that Jesus is not there. And so they literally turn around and they run back, go grab their friends. They grab Peter and John and they come back to the tomb. And while they're there, clearly they find out there is no body in the tomb. And the friends begin to dissipate, but Mary still sticks around. Here's what it says, starting in, in verse 11. Now Mary stood outside the tomb crying. As she wept, she bent over to look into the tomb. And she saw two angels in white seated where Jesus' body had been. One at the head and one at the foot. They asked her, woman, why are you crying? They've taken my... Taking my Lord away, she says. 
I don't know where they've put him. At this, she turned around and she saw Jesus standing there, but she did not realize that it was Jesus. He asks her, woman, why are you crying? Who is it you're looking for? Thinking that he was the gardener, she said, sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have put him and I will go get him. Jesus answered her, Mary, and she turned around to him and cried out in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. Jesus said to her, don't hold on to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father. Go instead to my brothers and tell them, I am ascending to my Father, your Father. I'm ascending to my God, your God. Mary Magdalene went to the disciples with the news that I have seen the Lord. She told them, She told him that he had said these things to her. It's an intriguing passage to me. I I love this passage for several reasons, but one of which is just the identity, the understanding of what's kind of happening here. You read a passage like this and somebody comes in and they, they see something, they don't recognize something, and then they see it later, they understand what it is, and you kind of wonder what might be happening. And I think it's important for us all to understand that while many disciples followed Jesus, And people anticipated that Jesus would become the king. They looked for more of a political leader, not a spiritual leader. The kind of leader that they were looking for, they looked for someone of might and strength, oftentimes not humility and compassion. And so Jesus is crucified, he's buried, and he's now no longer in his tomb. And I think one of the things that probably blinds our vision is not only unmet expectations, but death. Death. I don't know if you've experienced death in your life or if you've had somebody close to you that you've lost, but just recently, last night, I was on Facebook and there was a posting that one of my favorite professors has passed away. And it just kind of hit me like a ton of bricks. He was somebody who poured into me, somebody who I, I could go to his office at any time. He would challenge me. He'd, he'd confront me. He'd, he'd, he'd encourage me. He was just somebody who genuinely was both a scholar and a servant. And I enjoyed our time together. He'd been battling some health issues and had recently passed away. But it's interesting how death impacts us all. Whether it's a professor that we love, whether it's a family member that we've been close to, whether it's a friend we went to high school with, Death impacts us all differently. Some of us, some of us are kind of man's man's, right? We kind of suck it up, deal with it. We kind of move on because we're, we're tougher, we're stronger. We've got a hard outer shell, right? You know, and some of us, when death hits us, it's like a small implosion. Mary is impacted greatly because of the relationship that she had with Jesus. Her knowledge, her understanding, the relationship that she shared with Jesus. What's interesting is that, that Mary describes her relationship with Jesus, or actually the scriptures talk about her relationship, that she was a woman found with seven demons. Now, it's not exactly a calling card you want to hand out as a business card, right? Hi, I'm Mary. I have seven demons. Good to meet you, right? You know? But she's tormented. She's caught in this sense of evil, and Jesus, in relationship, meets her where she is, frees her from her demons, and it transforms her life. She's forever different. But yet in this passage, in the, in the glimpse of grief, she is blinded by what's actually happening in the moment. Her expectations and her feelings are somehow discombobulating all the reality and truth that Jesus has spoken into her life. 
I love what verse 14 says. It says, she turned and she saw Jesus, but she did not realize it was Jesus. It's an interesting play on words that actually happens in this passage. The idea of seeing Jesus, that she saw Jesus, is this idea of visually seeing, perceiving with her eyes. She did not recognize him. This word realize gives the idea of she did not know, she did not understand that it was truly him. Jesus begins to speak to her. Why are you crying? Who are you looking for? And she begins to give her answer, and Jesus just says her name, Mary. And she bursts out with this this name, teacher, teacher. By the sound of his voice, by the way that he said her name, she recognizes, she knows who this is. Ever answered the phone and not recognize the number? And then somebody's voice comes over and it's like, oh, good, it's not a creditor, right? You know, maybe that's your phone, not mine, right? You know, truth of the matter is, I think there are times that we are blinded in our own lives, that we don't see life the way it truly is. And so when somebody, someone speaks in, reaches in, somebody who knows us more than we know ourselves, when we hear their voice speak our name, it's familiar, it's comforting. But like Mary, I think sometimes we... We look for what we want, not what we need. Or maybe we look for what we expect, but not necessarily what we say we believe. The tomb caught her in a riddle. Unsure of the things that Jesus had said and she had experienced, the transforming power that had shifted her own life. And she was looking for a dead body and what she found was a living savior. And it caught her off guard. How much of our lives do we spend searching, mourning over, over dead things, hoping for things to fix our life? Maybe it's a relationship. Maybe it's a job. Maybe it's this, this perfect decision if everything would come together. But really what we need is to know Jesus. Mary responds in verse 18 by saying, I have seen the Lord. And this idea of seeing is different. It's not that visually she just saw him. It's that she recognized him, the one she knows, the one who she's walked with, talked with, experienced life. She knows deep down inside. Now it's all come together. I have, the word really kind of carries this, I have experienced the Lord. That's what sometimes Christ followers would say in their relationship with Jesus Christ, that basically they've been transformed, that by knowing Jesus, it has changed literally who they are, not only in the present, not only in the temporary, but for the eternal. It's, it's the difference between knowing about somebody and knowing somebody, right? I mean, let's be, let's be kind of transparent if we can in this room. You know, I, it's Easter today. Some of us came because grandma invited us. Uh, some of us came because we thought, you know, it'd be good to take our kids on a, on a day like today. We should come. If we're going to come to church, let's come to this, this day. Some of us are here because we're like, well, you know, it's kind of the things we do. And I, I kind of like what Jesus teaches. So uh, it's good to be seen in this experience. But the reality is this. The reality is this. There are some of us who know about Jesus And there are some people who know Jesus. Some people who have an idea of of maybe what his teachings were about or maybe historically what might be about his life or how he might have impacted culture or time or history. And then there are some of us that say, you know what? This is going to sound weird, but I have met him. Maybe you met him in in, in reading through the scriptures and something came alive to you and you, 
You kind of sensed your heart unlock, your mind be freed. For some of you, maybe you you had a moment where it, it was just clear as day to you that the brokenness of your life had you in shackles. But when you began to understand who Jesus was, those shackles had no weight no more. See, some of us, we, we talk about knowing Jesus, and some of us, we've experienced it. And I believe what Mary experienced is what God wants for all of us, for all of us to know Jesus personally. It's the difference between having a religion or having a relationship, that you can learn a bunch of rules and a bunch of dogma, and you can learn a bunch of things to get things right, or you can learn to be a great follower, to live in the life of surrender, to live out the patterns and the posture of Jesus in your life. And that's what happens with Mary. I wonder if she thought back to some of the teachings that Jesus had. I wonder, I wonder if we were to get right down to it today, if we were to talk about what would it be like to, to move beyond being cool with Jesus and actually following Jesus. I think we'd have to ask this question. I think we'd have to begin to ask this question, uh, what, what, what does it look like? What does it look like? Or how do we respond to begin to follow after Jesus? I think we respond in obedience. I love this, this text, Matthew chapter 16. Uh, Jesus is talking about inviting people to follow after him, to live in the will and the way of his father by being obedient. He says these words. Listen to him care- carefully. Jesus says to his disciples or to his followers, Whoever wants to be my disciple or follower must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. Whoever wants to save their life will lose it. But whoever loses their life for me will find it. What good will it be for someone to gain the whole world but forfeit their soul? Or what can anyone give in exchange for their soul? For the Son of Man is going to come in his Father's glory with his angels. And then he will reward each person according to what they have done. Isn't that an interesting passage? That when Jesus is beginning to talk about what it means to follow in the way of following after God, the invitation that he took to die on a cross is an invitation that he gives to us. No, we don't literally have to carry some big piece of wood and be nailed to a cross, but we have this this figurative, this picture, this transformative portrait that we must die to ourselves. We must put away the old life, the old way of living. We would be associated with the way and the pattern of Jesus. We would live his will, his character, his wants for us. Because somehow only in our death, only in our weakness, can God's strength, his power of the resurrection be revealed. For those of us that know Jesus know that to be true. We have a story about our pride. We have a story about our brokenness. We have a story about our addiction. We have a story about whatever it may be. But it's just the intro to the story of our changed eternity. We are not perfect. We do not have it all together. But we recognize that God is walking and working through our lives in the relationship that we have with him.
So the next question becomes, well, how do we respond if we know Jesus? And I think we respond in surrender. One of the most beautiful portraits of surrender throughout scripture is once again, another identification with the death, the burial and resurrection of Jesus. It's another way of pointing back to a cross, to our personal crucifixion, to our putting to death our old way of living. Romans chapter six says it this way. I'll just read this for you. We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the father, we too may live with new life. For if we have been united with him in death like his, we will certainly also be united with him in the resurrection like his. For we know that our old self was crucified with him so that our body, so that the body ruled by sin might be done away with. That we would no longer be slaves to sin. Because anyone, anyone who has died has been set free from sin. Baptism is an incredible portrait throughout scripture. And as a matter of fact, when you, you see people who begin to follow after Jesus, the, the most normal response that you see, of course, is people believing, changing their way, repenting their lives, and then ultimately surrendering their life back to him. And that picture is baptism. We practice this as a church on a regular basis, not meaning we run through it, but we, we live this out. We practice it even in, in our experiences here at church. We have a, the fountain up front is actually our baptistry. And we have this kind of tank of water that we somebody will walk in and, and another Christ follower will turn to them and talk to them about their faith for a moment. And because they believe in the sacrifice of Jesus, because they believe that it was his death, his burial, his resurrection that pays for our sin and death, we step forward and say, you know what, God? We're pushing all our chips in the middle on you. We're trusting that you are enough, that you will change our lives, not only in the temporary or the present, but for all of eternity. And then we, we take that person, we dip them, we plunge them into the water, and it, it gives this portrait of a dying to self, being buried in the waters of baptism, and rising again, being clothed in the character and the likeness of Christ. Next week, we're actually going to be celebrating Baptism Sunday. And we have, we have several people that are wrestling with this question about, should I surrender my life to Christ? They, they believe in Jesus, but they, they've never... They've never taken this step. And maybe, maybe you're there too. But next Sunday on the 8th, we're going to have a baptism Sunday. And anyone who believes in the relationship that Jesus Christ has provided for us, his death, his burial, his resurrection, is given the opportunity to respond in faith to the grace that God has given us. Next week during our worship service, literally, people will come forward and we will baptize them and we will celebrate the new life that they have because of the sacrifice of Jesus. Maybe you have a, maybe you have a young uh, elementary student who's wrestling with making that next step or that next decision. I want to encourage you. We, we actually do a class at the end of the month called Jesus and Me. And that class, they, they sit down with families and with, with children. And they talk about what that means. Maybe you have a student that wants to take that step. Uh, maybe, or uh, an elementary student. Maybe, maybe you have a, a high school or middle school student. We encourage you to, to take the connection card, to put their name, your name next to it. And phone number and email. We'd love to have that conversation with you about what it means to surrender in baptism. Some of you also, maybe you have, maybe you're holding a little bambino this weekend. You've got a, a baby that you're celebrating coming into this world. And next month, we'll actually have a family dedication where we bring parents and children on stage and we, 
We pray over them. We dedicate them back to God to, to be a household that will honor God in everything that they think, think, say, and do. If you want to be a part of Baptism Sunday, if you have a, a student, elementary or, or high school or junior high, we'd encourage you to put that on your connection card. We'd love to follow up with you this week. And you can place those into the offering boxes that we have around the room so that we can gather those responses later in the week. But if we were to summarize everything we're trying to talk about today, it's just simply this. Jesus is more than a hero. He is our savior. And Jesus is not a savior that we simply say, hey, thanks for picking up the check. You know, like when you go out with mom or dad or whatever, and you get the chance to hang out with family. And while you're sitting there at dinner and dad goes, oh, I got it. You know, I, as, a, as a son, I'm always like, thanks, dad. I appreciate that, right? You know, I got, got my own mouths to feed. But at the same time, it's not just a, a kudos to God. Thank you for picking up the check. But when God picks up the check, he invites us to go to the kitchen and wash dishes. He invites us to take our place and to pick up our own towel and serve those around us. He picks up the check and he invites us not just to go home full, but to leave transformed. That we would in turn go back and tell them of the goodness of what God has done in us. That's what's happening with Mary. And Mary realizes that in the confusion of her grief, in her mourning of the weekend, she is awakened to the reality that all that Jesus has said has introduced a brand new kingdom of power and might through the resurrection, one that brings love and hope and justice, that frees those who are opposed, that helps those who are hurting, who cares for those who are lost, and invites her to join that same mission, to go and tell to go and live, to live in love. I think when we come into the understanding that God is our Savior, we recognize it is both a privilege and a responsibility. It's a privilege to be saved by God, but it's a responsibility for us to stand with him. And so maybe we just say it this way, that when you come to know Jesus, you'll grow with Jesus. And when you know Jesus, you'll show Jesus to others and through your life, through obedience. And so maybe that's the answer to the question. How do I know if I know about Jesus? Or how do I know if I know Jesus? Are you growing? And are you showing the transformative impact that being in relationship with Jesus, the reality of the resurrection is not just something we celebrate from our past, but a truth we live every day. So let's move to our, uh, let's move to our time of response. So this Wednesday, we, uh, we paused as a staff and we literally prayed for area churches, for area pastors, for people who would attend this weekend. And I remember saying my prayer request for our church. And my prayer was this, that Easter, this Sunday, would end up being like every other Sunday and every other day of the year. That may seem backwards to some of us, right? Because sometimes we joke as people who go to church that Easter is the Super Bowl of Sundays, right? Right? It's the time we come back and we celebrate all that God has done. 
But the reality of the resurrection is, is as valid Monday through Saturday as it is on this day. And the reality of the resurrection, that to know Jesus, to allow him to change our heart and our mind, the way that we think and act and speak, the way that we live and love and care for one another, that reality should be lived out in every day, in every way through us. And sometimes, sometimes we reserve it just for days to dress up in pastels and take our pictures. And I want you to know that the hope and the reality, the forgiveness and love, the transforming power of the resurrection to convict us, to confront us, to conform us, to rip up our hearts and to put us back together into the love of Christ. It can happen any day. So what would it look like for that? What would it look like for us to begin to take that step? Some of you in today are have maybe never taken the step to accept Jesus Christ as your Savior and Lord. And so maybe you're thinking about grabbing that connection card that's in front of you. You're like, I, I don't understand all this, but I want to talk to somebody about what it means to follow after Jesus. Some of you have been in relationship with Jesus for a while. You've gone to church for a while. You, you, you came from a, maybe a faith tradition where somebody, somebody offered your faith back to God, but you've never in your own way stepped out and accepted that through the picture of baptism, to be buried with Christ, to be clothed with Christ, to celebrate the new life that comes through Jesus. Maybe you're going to grab that connection card today and you're going to write, I I need to talk to somebody about being baptized. The reason we call this time uh, our our time of response is because if if you are new with us today, if you're a guest with us today, we're we're going to move a little bit in this room. We set up this room to be an environment where after, after we've celebrated a little bit of who God is, who we've connected with who God is and who we are, when we begin to discover who God is and, and who he wants us to be, that there is a response. We should respond back to God. And so maybe you see in the front, there are some benches up here. And there will be people who come during this time of response and they will bend at the benches at the, we kind of call it an altar, and people will will pray and some will pray a prayer of celebration. Some will pray a prayer of hope or help. And some will, some may just sit before God and say, God, you know my week. Some in this room will move to the, the tables that you see around this room. The tables, there are these trays. They have bread and juice. We call this time communion where we can come into community with God and be reminded that Jesus said on the night that he was betrayed, this is my body broken for you. This is my blood that will be shed for you. It was a picture of the cross that his body would be broken, his blood would be shed, and that would be the payment for our sins. It would be the key that would unlock eternity, providing life everlasting and the forgiveness of sins for all. And if you have a relationship with Jesus Christ, we encourage you, to come on your own, to take the bread, to eat it, to take the cup and drink the juice and then put the cup in a container in the middle. But we also use this time to respond and we have what we call offering boxes. And these offering boxes are there so that we can offer ourselves back to God through the church. We may offer a connection card that says, this is a decision of faith that I need to make. Would somebody walk with me? Would somebody help me understand what it means to give my life to Christ? We offer a a prayer request. 
Maybe there's something going on in your life right now that you want somebody to pray for you. And we use it to give our finances back to God. We have four boxes in the room. One, two, three, and four. But the reality is not everybody came here today ready to respond. Everybody came to attend, but maybe this is new. Maybe this is, maybe this is awkward for you. I want to encourage you. In a moment, we're going to begin to stand and we're going to begin to sing. And as some people move, they will be comfortable with it. You're, you're welcome to stay where you are. It might get a little crowded in this room as people begin to do that. And as we tell our kids, this is not a race, but a chance to take our time to begin to move together. What we're doing today to kind of help with the flow of things is we're asking the outside groups to go first. That when you're ready to respond, whether it be for prayer or whether it be for communion or whether it be through the offering box, that the outside sections would be the first ones to go. And once they've begun to go and looks like they're going through, the, the next section can go. And once they've gone through and seems like they're coming back, the middle sections can go. But this is a spontaneous time of response. For you to allow what God may be stirring up in you, the reality that he is our Savior and our Lord, the challenge to make a decision of faith, to follow out in baptism, to pause in prayer, to begin to be in communion with Christ and be reminded of his sacrifice. It's an invitation for each of us to respond back to God and what he's doing in our lives. Let's stand, we'll sing, and when you're ready, we'll begin to move from the outsides in.